Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Some people just love the suck. It drives them to endure what most cannot. But the misery and pain that is often associated with buds is not merely limited to that of the body. Founder of Seal Fit and retired Navy SEAL Mark Devine explains that to be successful in some of life's seemingly insurmountable challenges, mindset is crucial. As is true with athletics, in buds and much of SEAL training, physical preparedness is implied. Those that thrive are the ones with the best mental approach and unshakable ethos. How do you cultivate your own? Mark suggests a few tactics. First, to truly serve in sport, combat, or business, you must work towards mastery of your discipline. Here Mark discussed how then conquering fear can be achieved through closing the gap between the unknown and the known. Visualization and running through scenarios in your mind's eye is a form of preparation that mimics actual experience. For instance, right now, I'm visualizing you tuning into this episode and sucking less already. This is episode 186. Power Athlete Radio, what is up? You got Tex here in Texas, John in California, and we are joined by Mr. Mark Devine, former Navy SEAL, founder of SEAL Fit, and a best-selling author. Mark, how are you doing today? Good, Tex. John, thanks for uh, having me on the show. Yeah, thank you. Th- thanks for making the time. I know you're on vacation, so I really appreciate you just uh, being able to break off for a few minutes and wrap with us a little bit. Yeah, anytime. Anytime with you, John. So I'm looking forward to chatting. Yes, yeah, we, no, I mean, we, we had a, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but I was actually on Mark's podcast uh, a couple months ago, and we actually had a really great talk. I mean, I, as we started getting into it, I mean, all of a sudden it was like time, and we looked down, and it would been, you know, 90 minutes or two hours, and then we went out and actually worked on a little bit of athleticism and, you know, toes forward and some of the things that we discussed, but really what, um, you know, Mark originally invited me down there was to talk about training, and unfortunately, or fortunately or unfortunately, it just ran in a million different directions. <laughs> I know. That That's what I don't sounds, know sounds like our show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, should, it should go in those directions, right? Because that's, that's where the juice is. Yeah, and, you know, and then you bring in people that actually have opinions and ideas. And uh, the one thing that I really am excited to talk about today is, uh, you know, not only cultivating a proper mindset, but I know that, you know, your deal with the unbreakable mind is really about, you know, cultivating, uh, you know, mental toughness. And I, I kind of hate using that word because it's kind of like the, uh, the term core in strength conditioning. People, are, you know, when you go to a gym, they always talk about developing core in this. And to me, it's like that's, a, you know, guys bouncing on busu balls. But when you start, you know, talking about high school football coaches, they're like, ah, oh, mental toughness. But I think, uh, you know, you have a different approach on it, and more, more importantly, um, have you know really created an entire you know system and really just a life based on the idea of, you know, allow or or basically creating a system uh, to allow you to do things that you know most people can't and really didn't think they could. So, yeah. Mark, um, why don't you just before we get into kind of the the nuts and bolts and the juice of kind of the unbeatable mind program. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, they can kind of get a, a brief feel of who you are before we get into those big details. Okay. <clears throat> um, I was born at a young age <laughs> in upstate New York. <laughs> okay, I won't do that. Um, so, I, I, like you said, I was a, a, a SEAL for 20 years, Tex, um, retired as a commander. So, I'm a retired SEAL, not a former SEAL. There's a, there's a difference to us. Um, I went the distance, you know. I was an officer. I led uh, uh, platoons in Southeast Asia, uh, in the Middle East, uh, served in Iraq, and, uh, you know, Iraq Freedom 2004. Half my uh, SEAL time was active duty, half was reserve. <clears throat> so as a reservist, I was able to kind of 
get into um, uh, business entrepreneurship. You know, Navy SEALs are very entrepreneurial. Like we, we operate in small teams. We're taught to, to think very creatively and it's very challenging. You know, there's no way I was going to go and be in, in big business or uh, go into government after my military career. And I, I just needed, I, I knew I needed to be an entrepreneur. So I, I got into business. My first business was the Coronado Brewing Company, which is now the third largest brewery in San Diego. I, had, I got out of that because my partners were real jerks and they were also my brothers-in-law. So that got kind of tricky. And so I got out of that and then I launched a company called NavySeals.com, uh, which I still own. It's an e-commerce platform, pretty niche um, And then out of that came my real pursuit, which was um, I have a passion for training um, myself. And then I started training SEALs, spec ops candidates through NavySeals.com. And, and I kind of sub-branded that as SealFit. SealFit then spun out to become kind of the main thing. And so I developed a, a system well, let me back up a little bit. I, I was big into kind of this notion of the warrior monk or the warrior athlete, warrior athlete, warrior monk. Um, some of the, my most profound training experiences as a SEAL were immersive, like intense, long training periods where I did nothing but focus on that one type of training. Great example of that is my hand-to-hand -hand combat training. 30 days of training, 10 hours of fighting a day. And by day 21 or so, you know, we were just – uh, unbelievably effective. Let's put it that way. Uh, I wouldn't have wanted to beat myself in a dark alley. And so what I wanted to do when I started SealFit was to recreate that experience, but for the sum total of what it would take to, to succeed as a special operation warrior, both you know, through the training program and then to be a more effective warrior. And so I invited people to come train with me at my training center in California for 30 days at a time. And I did, uh, Four of these for two years in a row, four a year. So I was spending 30 days at a time with these uh, warriors who were come training with me. And I, my first one, I recall, I had, it, it was basically four guys who came to train with me. And I charged them three grand each for 30 days. And they lived on site and I fed them. It was crazy. I don't know how I, you know, I didn't make any money on it, obviously, but it was a lot of fun. And so we trained together from, you know, five in the morning until about eight or nine at night. Now, as you can imagine, 30 days is a long period of time. And we didn't take any breaks. So, I mean, we didn't take any days off. So it was 30 days straight. Now, the physical training, I ran the gamut from, you know, strength training, like what John does, to CrossFit, to log PT and all the Navy SEAL stuff, and ocean swimming, combat side stroke, breath hold training, uh, log PT, you know, durability, all that kind of stuff. But that still filled up about half the time. So the rest of the time, I really needed to figure out how to go deep, or I wanted to figure out how to go deep on training, what I call the inner domain, because I had the outer pretty much wired. And that's, that's, there was a lot of information on that. I had a ton of experience through my years and years as a SEAL and a, and a CrossFitter and whatnot. You know, and I was able to, to draw from people like John and, and Ripito on the strength training. But I really needed to figure out this mental training, because there wasn't much out there on that. So... I went back into my years as a martial artist and my years as a SEAL, and I started to really kind of think through how do you, get, you know, how did the SEALs develop mentally, people? How did the SEALs develop focus and concentration and the ability to make good decisions under pressure? And how did the martial artists do it? And how did the yogis do it? And so out of that program, and I was a 25-year martial artist, and I'd been studying yoga for about 15 years at that point, out of that program came Unbeatable Mind. And uh, that's what, you know, I think we can talk, I won't get into the, the sauce behind Unbeatable Mind, but, but what it was, was a, a definitive 
program for developing mental toughness, emotional resiliency, and warrior spirit that had a demonstrable positive effect on the warriors and athletes that I was training. In fact, the, the SEAL candidates that I train have a 90% success rate getting through BUDS. And so if it works for them, I decided it probably would work for professionals and, and um, you know, business people and entrepreneurs. And so I started offering it to them. That's, that's what Unbeatable Mind is. That's why I wrote that book and have the online program called that. I went a little long there. Sorry about that. No, it's perfect. I mean, uh, can you just take us through a little bit? I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, not anything but short. But uh, you know, like, uh, like, what are the key components in terms of developing? Uh, you know, okay. obviously, if you're looking at it from a martial arts deal, there's kind of a holistic approach of yeah. you know, training the body, uh, the body, the mind, and the spirit all in one. And right. you know, people that end up focusing on one become devoid of the other. So, yeah. boom. You just, you just nailed probably the, the most important aspect of it is that <clears throat> we've we got to train the whole person, the whole system. And so what I learned and what I figured out that SEALs were doing and, the, and, and all warrior traditions had done in the past is that they were able to first elevate training to the same level of importance as eating and sleeping. So but this is a, a sea change of thinking, right? Now, I know you get it, but, but most people don't in that most people think, okay, I'll go to the gym and I'll work out or I'll have a temporary goal. Like I want to lose weight or I want to get ripped and I'm, you know, I want to bodybuild for some competition. And the warrior doesn't do that. The warrior says, I'm going to, I got to train every day for the rest of my life. And, and if I miss my training, then I got to make it up and, and I'm not going to be complete, right? Without getting that training in. It's, it's every bit as important as fueling myself and getting nice, good sleep and recovery. Those, I call those the three pillars. So that's a philosophical shift. So the warrior learns, and, I, and I'll couch it like this, the warrior is, is motivated to master him or herself so that they can serve properly, serve effectively. And they understand that service can't come before mastery or, or the pursuit of mastery. Because, you know, and, and a lot of people get this wrong. We want to go out and serve. Like a lot of people, a lot of millennials are like, I want to go, you know, change the world. I got to do this. Uh, I feel urgently like I've got to go you know, help the environment or, or do, you know, whatever it is that they're passionate about. And yet they haven't taken the time to work on themselves, to develop themselves so that they can serve effectively. They can get their ego out of the way. They can, you know, be physically and mentally and emotionally strong so that when they meet the inevitable challenges, which is what life is all about, it's about learning and growing from, from challenges, not avoiding them, that they're they are at their best. They're bringing their A game. They're, you know, 100% present and able to make the right decisions at the right time for the right reasons. So I guess at the overarching level of my philosophy is that, you know, we're all, we all have a warrior in us and that warrior is, is compelled to master or seek the pursuit of mastery so that we can serve others boldly. Now my, myself and my Navy SEAL warriors, our service was in service to our country, you know, to you guys to go out and help protect and to defend the constitution and all that other people's service is going to be different. So that's, that's kind of the overarching. Now, if we wanted to kind of start to neck it down into the training, the, the principle that you brought up, John, is, is critical, is that the warrior doesn't just go to the gym to work out to make his body stronger, to look good in a bathing suit. Um, the warrior knows that the human experience, the human being is an integrated whole of a number of, of uh, domains or intelligences or aspects and those include the physical being so the physical body obviously my ability to move functionally 
to eradicate dysfunctional movement patterns, which you and I talked about, to, um, to refine and balance our physiology. That's one part of our uh, being that we can take control of, you know, and we can master our health and our, and our fitness and those types of things. So that's one aspect, and it's an important intelligence or, or line of development that we have. Another is the mental. Now, mental to us means more than your IQ, cognitive ability to just, you know, think. It actually means to learn how to unthink, to learn how to get into your perceiving mind, to use your imagery and your visualization to improve your access to memory so that your memory is more accurate, and to tap into, um, you know, what we call our heart mind or our belly mind, in essence, our whole mind. And so that's a big part of the Unbeal Mind training is to learn how to get into the whole mind and to train the whole mind. And this is where a lot of the Eastern principles come in. And I just take the foo out of the Kung Fu and present them as drills and skills. And then there's the emotional line. Now, this is the part that uh, guys in particular tend to shy away from, but emotional power is crucial. As you know, as an athlete, John, you know, when you when you personally and or your team were emotionally charged up and emotionally invested positively in the outcome that you're looking for, then you had a much higher chance of succeeding. And so emotional power is like an accelerant. You know, it's a multiplier. And I think when people don't tap into that, when they don't develop themselves emotionally, when they avoid that, then they kind of get, uh, they shunt some of their power and they, they, um, they close off some potential. And then sure. the, the final two, and I'll just roll these out real quick. And then, you, you know, I'll take some questions from you, but the is, uh, is like the intuitive power. So intuition, like I know as a Navy SEAL, intuition, my intuition saved my life multiple times and my teammates multiple times. It wasn't mental. It wasn't emotional. It wasn't physical. It was something else. And that, you know, to me was, you know, that's an intelligence that we can develop and we strive to develop an unbeatable mind. And then the fifth domain that we develop is called, I call it Kokoro, only because I don't have a good word in English. Kokoro is a Japanese warrior term that means heart, you know, like, like your spiritual center. And so this is like warrior spirit, your intentionality, the reason you do things, that non-quitting spirit, you know, why, why my friend Glenn Doherty, you know, fought to the death for, you know, for him, you know, for, for his teammates and to save those Americans in Benghazi. You know, he was this, the Navy SEAL, my SEAL coach who was killed in Benghazi. Why did he do that? It's because of his, you know, his heart, his warrior spirit. So I believe that can be trained too. And, you know, my philosophy with Unbeal Mind is that when we train these all simultaneously in an integrated manner, then we unlock uh, accelerated development and it allows ourselves to tap into vast storehouses of potential that we may have uh, had hints of in the past, but we're unable to access because we don't know how. And when you can tap into that potential, then your performance goes through the roof, regardless of what you're applying it toward, you know, whether it's athletics or building a business or academics. Dang. That was a that's lot. A, <laughs> I said that's a, that's a whole podcast on its own. Um, did uh, You've obviously read Mushiashi's Book of Five Ranks, um, which, yeah, yeah, which, which, is, uh, which I, I ended up reading in college and was probably one of the most influential books I ever had for athletic performance. The idea of like Bushido and dedicating yourself to being the mastery of one thing, you know, for, you know, for the samurai and for Bushiashi, it was, uh, you know, the, the art of warfare to be perfection. But yeah, I, I, I looked at that and thought, 
if I could, you know, take a sliver of that and apply it to what I did on the football field, then I would have this infinite ability to, to get better. And, um, it's something too that, you know, we've also evolved into, into the power athlete system and we talked a little bit about it, but the idea of like, you know, the mastery of the closed loop mastering, like, you know, the task prevented, uh, presented to us and, you know, working within the mundane and building competence and, you know, uh, in all these different phases to be able to go out and effectively be useful in what you choose to use it for. And, um, you know, the one thing that becomes, and this is probably just, uh, either from, uh, I don't even know, like maybe just uh, not really having the time to delve into it. What we do is really developing the mental side of this thing. I mean, I always kind of thought that if you do the work presented to you and you do it enough, eventually like the mental aspect kind of falls in line. Uh, But maybe that was just me. Whereas, I mean, people literally come to you that are, you know, hey, uh, you know, I can do this, but I don't know. And a big part of probably what you do is just the mastery of fear just helping people somehow organize themselves to, you know, not be fearful of what they can do. Yeah. um, You've said a few things here. I want to, I want to kind of unpack a little bit. First is back to Musashi. Musashi talked about uh, cultivating warrior um, spirit and the warrior spirit had a singular focus. Like it's not diffused. A, A strong spirit is, is radically focused you know, on, on the enemy, on the application of the technique, on the why, that type of thing. That's why, you know, when the warrior went into a combat or, 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 you know, had to fight, they were very, very clear, right? Their, their heart and mind were clear and they were able to be radically present and spontaneous with their actions because they had just been able to focus with that intensity on that, you know, on that one thing that was going to lead to victory for them. And, and each warrior, he was might have a different different thing or skill and so he said it's better to practice one sword strike you know a hundred thousand times than to practice thousands of techniques you know ten times and and so I think for the athlete that's really important it's like we can't be good at everything or we can't be great at everything we've got to be good at most things but there's going to be one thing that if we dominate we do better than anyone else then that's gonna that's gonna really uh you know, be our go-to. That's gonna that's gonna make you know make us stand out. I think that's really powerful. And this goes back. You know, the second point is there. You know, what I figured out is that mental training is a you know you can train um, as a power athlete. You can train your your moves, your strength moves, and your agility moves, and and the skill-based training. And over time, like you said you will sharpen the saw of your mental acuity. You will get, you will refine your ability to focus and concentrate because that's a classic tool of mental training is to do, you know, practice the basics over and over until you refine them and then to layer a skill on top of that and then to layer a skill on top of that. You know, like Malcolm Gladwell says, you do something 10,000 times and you'll achieve mastery. And then when you go and practice that, you know, you, you can flow you can access that, what the Japanese called shibumi or effortless perfection. Now, what I've learned is that there are actually some mental training uh, things that you can do that you can also practice 10,000 times, which will accelerate your mental development and allow you to do even better. So, you know, considering you're an athlete and you practice, you know, let's say you're, 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 um, you're whatever, throwing the ball and receiving the ball. 10,000 times. And so 
as a quarterback, you know, you, you feel like you've achieved mastery. But if you've also done some of this inner domain, this mental training, you're going to be way more instinctual, intuitive, uh, and, and the decisions and the moves you make are going to be more integrated so that you're making better decisions and you're going to be able to bring more emotional power to it. So it's less of a, um, just a rote skill that you're performing and it's more of a whole body experience. And when you, when you can achieve that, then you, you will perform better, right? And the team will respond to you better, especially if you're in a leadership role. So that's kind of like my discovery is that you can treat your, you know, as some of these mental skills, just like a physical skill and practice them over and over. And what they do is they, they unlock kind of new, new areas of mental um, acuity, right. That have been really kind of hidden from us. And, you know, then your comment about fear, you know, fear to me is just, you know, um, it's, it's, it's the unknown, right? And so to overcome fear, we close the gap between the known and the unknown. One of the best ways to close the gap between the known and the unknown and to know something that you haven't experienced before is to be able to visualize it, to, to um, experience it in your inner domain, experience it in your mind's eye. So one of the best ways to overcome fear, the way the warrior does it, is they visualize, they see it in their mind's eye. They see themselves you know, they see themselves dominating and they see themselves, you know, meeting challenges and, and having failure. And then they see themselves overcoming that failure, right? So like the Navy SEALs who went in and nailed bin Laden, they had visualized that and they had dirt dove or dirt dived it, rehearsed it, you know, hundreds of times uh, before they ever got on target. And when they got on target, you know, one of the first things that happened was the helicopter crash. And, you know, the common person would, you know, slide into fear, fear of what that means, fear of failure, fear of, you know, not being able to get home, whatever. There's a hundred other things that could have gone wrong. But the SEALs had visualized that. They knew exactly what actions to take when things go wrong. And so they didn't fear that. They just, you know, kept on moving forward and kept on, you know, driving toward the objective, toward mission accomplishment because they could see it in their mind's eye. They knew they knew, um, you know, that if they could see it, then they could achieve it, you know? So I've got one of my questions uh, written down here is fear versus frustration. So fear, you talk about it can be paralyzing and it's an emotion that can actually be turned into power. Now, what about frustration? And kind of what we're seeing with people are upset about the election or they run into a, a stressful situation in life, they shut down. Is it because of fear? or they don't know how to kind of uh, take action and actually do some good with that, that issue? Part, a big part of mental training is to take control of what is going on in the cranial housing group, right? So it's one aspect of, I mentioned earlier, there, there's five ways that our, our mind works. One is cognition thinking, right? And this is our executive function that happens in our kind of neocortex. And so this is the dominant place that we spend most of our time, especially as Westerners. The second is image, the ability to create images that uh, we've never seen before. So that's imagination. And then to play them back to us like a movie internally. That's visualization. That's a second way that our brain works. Third is memory access. Uh, fourth 
is dreaming, right? So we're not going to talk about that here, but dreaming is a distinct mental process. And fifth is what we call direct perception, where we perceive something, uh, we're aware of it, but we're not really thinking about it. And this is what happens when you're in a flow state or you're very present and you're not in a rational analytical, you know, processing. So the problem, back to your question, Tex, is, is that most people are kind of stuck in the thinking mode, right? They're not able to like switch between these different modes very well. Obviously, they're accessing memory, but because most people are thinking, they're always stuck in either a future or past state. And they're very rarely in a pure present state. Now, sometimes they will be like in a CrossFit wad, or, and that's why they feel so damn good. But for the most part, you know, most people are in a, a present or past state, which keeps them from here and now. Um, because thinking by its very nature has to be present or future or past, right? You can't be thinking in, in the here and now. It's, it's a real, un, you know, um, conundrum. So if our thoughts have negative qualities to them, and we call it an unbeatable mind, if they're feeding the fear wolf. So our, our minds, as you are aware, are, 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 uh, essentially programmed for a negativity bias, right? That's just the way we are. It's a survival mechanism. And so because of that programming, unless you counteract that programming through training or just, you know, by, by figuring this out yourself, then you, you tend to have fear-based or negative-based thoughts cycling through your head. Now, we have like 60,000 thoughts a day. Most of them are negative or fear-based. And they can be even subtle, you know what I mean? Um, it's, it's, you know, the difference between a negative and a positive thought can also, you know, can be just a fine line, right? And so um, any thought of anything like a performance or, or uh, another person or anything that isn't, um, isn't tinged with positive energy is essentially weakening you as a human, right? And we know that through the field of kinesiology, right? So the unbeatable mind training is essentially to uh, learn to quiet or, or uh, let, let me back up, to learn to control the quality, the quantity, and the, the um, energy of your thinking patterns in that cognitive rational mind of ours, right? In order to do that, we need to kind of separate ourselves from our thoughts and be able to take perspective on the way that we think, right? So this is interesting because it's a whole new way of like orienting ourselves. Instead of just going through the day and, and you know, just being like a ping pong ball and bouncing between conversation to conversation and task to task, um, we get very, very focused on what we're thinking and why we're thinking it and the quality of the thought. Is it positive or negative? And then eventually through practicing this every day, our thoughts tend to become very powerful, um, you know, charged with that positive energy. Uh, we're always feeding the courage. We'll, our, we're focused on the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. And we're saying no to most other things which are going to be distracting and, and clutter us up. When we can achieve even a percentage of what I'm alluding to, which is the holy grail of, of the medieval mind, then fear tends to kind of slip away and frustrations kind of go away because you realize that everything that happens happens for a reason and has a lesson and is an important aspect of our own both growth and the process because we made the choice that led to that 
you know, led to that frustration or led to that challenge happening. And so we're in control. We take control of what, what we can control, which is the inner, inner domain. And so um, anything that comes up that could be a challenge, you know, we approach it with courage. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to go into it looking for the lesson and, and to use that situation to make us stronger and to become, you know, better version of ourselves. I hope that wasn't too mushy, but... No, it's great. great. I mean, it's... Um, yeah. It's almost like one of these things that I, I can't believe that we have to almost go back and, uh, and almost reprogram this stuff. I mean, it seems like uh, these lessons should have been taught a long time ago. I mean, obviously, guys going to the SEAL teams and, you know, come out of the military and you guys put them through this crucible of training to try to weed out. I mean, I guess you could say, uh, you know, lesser candidates or people that either physically or mentally or just emotionally shouldn't be there. And you kind of disseminate down to this one group that, you know, obviously has cultivated um, this mindset. Uh, did you ever see any common threads in the people that actually made it through buds and went on to be Navy SEALs? I mean, honestly, if we were to, to do, you know, a Myers-Briggs deal, I mean, everybody would fit within a certain couple types of deal. But was there any common threads that you saw where, you know, like as you talk to people that made it through or successful uh, SEALs had like one common thread that you thought like, oh, geez, um, that comes up quite often? Yes. Um you know, and they even tried to study it. They said, you know, that some psychologist was commissioned to study it for like a quarter million dollars. And, and the net result was they came to the, you know, the commanders and said, okay, you know, the people who succeed at BUDS uh, have grit. <laughs> and those who don't, don't. Like, we paid you a quarter million dollars for that. We could have told you that. You know, okay, so what is grit? You know, so that's, that's like, okay, grit is what I'm talking about, right? It's, you know, the ability to just put a smile on in the face of the most, you know, extreme challenge you could possibly imagine. And, you know, to, um, to understand how to navigate that. Now, there's a lot underneath that. Like, how, how does someone show up at SEAL training knowing how to control the inner domain, their thoughts and emotions, so that when the shit comes, you know, raining down on them with a, you know, in a torrential downpour with these ferocious, you know, SEAL instructors who are masters at just, you know, really probing and poking and prodding and getting under your skin and, you know, trying to get you to quit or, you know, um, or to fail. And those who, who have had like a challenging life or expose themselves to serious challenge tend to have figured it out. Now, the question is, what have they figured out? So let me back up. First, those who tend to do well at BUDS are um, certain types of athletes, uh, wrestlers, water polo players, and then to a lesser extent, um, probably third in a row are triathletes. So wrestlers and water polo players basically are warriors, right? A water polo is underwater combat. Wrestling is a combat on the mat. And, and you know, wrestling, you, you have to – Really, it's an individual pursuit. You have to be mentally and emotionally in control. You have to be able to suffer. Uh, it's hard, and you have to do it over and over and over again, you know, in a training session and during matches. And, you know, it tends to develop this kind of mental control and resoluteness of character and non-quitting spirit, the ability to embrace the suck and to stay focused on, you know, on the task, which is to, to pin your opponent. Water polo, very similar. 
And I think with, with triathlon training, it was the endurance aspect of like being alone, you know, swimming two and a half miles. You know, I w- that was more my approach. I was a martial artist and a triathlete. And both of those were very, very good uh, preparation, you know, for years and years leading up to my SEAL training. Uh, other people who tend to do well are guys who grow up on a farm or a ranch, you know, because they, they're up at the crack of dawn, they're digging post holes, they're, you know, there's no glory in that at all. And they, you know, so when a SEAL instructor comes and, and you know, s- screams at them or, you know, tries to get them to quit, they just look at the guy and be like, whatever, you know what I mean? This isn't anything compared to me digging pulse hose at 5 a.m., you know, day after day after day on the ranch or on the farm. And then the third type is like the inner city kid who just has nothing else going for him and is, was brought up kind of on the streets and, you know, real, real tough lifestyle, you know, brawls all the time or whatever, even in a gang. I, I know some guys have just been really successful, you know, hauling themselves out of that environment, got into the Navy, learned about the SEALs and said, hey, I can do that. And all of a sudden, there they are. Guys who tend to not do well, obviously, are people who don't prepare. Um, I see this all the time. People, I want to be a SEAL, especially in the past 10 or 15 years when there's been a lot of information about them. Um, not, you know, when I went to the SEALs, there wasn't anything, right? There was no movies or there was a few books from Vietnam area. You know, I had to kind of guess of what it was going to be like, but now most people, it's a big fantasy for a lot of people. And they think, you know, if they can play the video game, they can be a SEAL. And even though they can meet the minimum requirements for the, for the entry, that's not enough, right? It's, it's not even close to being enough. So people who don't learn how to prepare their body and mind, like the wrestler and like the water polo player or the farm boy, they don't make it. And then the other type is the, let's say, the, the athletes where things tend to come easy. So like uh, I've seen, you know, some quarterbacks of, you know, elite football programs come to SEAL training and quit, you know, in the first week. And it's because they, they haven't had, they've, they've trained, they're athletic, they've got the physical skills, but they haven't had to deal with failure. And there's one thing I can tell you at SEAL training is you will deal with failure because it's, it's, it's preordained, it's set up for you. You know, they bring the challenge to you and they make, make sure you're going to fail. You want to see how you're going to deal with that because the whole point about SEAL training is there's the team, you know, the, the instructors are selecting the next teammates and they want to see how you're going to respond when, the sh- you know, shit hits the fan and things start falling apart and you fail, right? Are you going to break down or are you going to, are you going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and help your teammates out? So that's kind of a broad brush, but I, I would say what's really going on underneath the, you know, if you pull up the hood, is those who have the grit are able to control their mind and their emotions. Now, here's the, the secret sauce. How are they able to control their mind and emotions? Either because they learn, like I did through a martial artist grandmaster who helped teach me this, or they just figured it out on their own. They learn to um, control four things or to, or to develop four skills. One, I call these the big four. The first is to control their um, control their breathing. This seems so almost too simple, but it's profound. The breath, as you know, can, can is our is the arbiter of our nervous system, right? So if our breath is out of control when the shit hits the fan, then our nervous system is going to be out of control, and, and we're going to fall out of balance, and we're going to head into 
failure zone. So by controlling our breath and uh, slowing it down and breathing through our nose, and the SEALs call this the tactical breathing, then we can actually be constantly triggering our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest function, which is sending signals to our nervous system that we're in control, that everything's okay. Now, the irony with this is that it leads us directly to the second skill, John Tex, is that the second skill is to be able to pay attention to the right things for the right reasons and also to maintain a positive internal dialogue. And I call this skill positivity, even though I, I, I wish I had chosen a different term for it because I think some people mistake that for you know, false positive. You know, um, so positivity to me is that this ability to, it, regardless of what's going on outside of us, regardless of the stress and the chaos, it could be bullets flying at us as a, as a seal, we're, we're able to maintain a clear focus on the right um, on the right thoughts and we're maintaining a positive internal dialogue we're not letting our internal thoughts defeat us the seals call this attention control they call the breath control arousal control because you're able to, to control the arousal response of stress and so those two skills breath controlling the breath allows us to have the mental space because our, our brain is going to be slowing down and and less agitated, like literally drop us from gamma back into beta and then into alpha state, even in the middle of a firefight, to be able to then focus on the quality of our thoughts and maintaining a positive internal dialogue. And then the third skill is imagery and visualization. So the SEALs who are succeeding know what victory looks like. They have an image of that. They've seen it in their mind's eye and they, they come back to it every day. And so failure to them is not an option because they can't see failure in their mind. They've, they've eradicated failure. They, all they see is the winner. They see themselves as a winner. They see themselves as a warrior. They see themselves as a, as a great teammate. Uh, they practice the skills that are necessary. For instance, you know, I know that I have to hit the O course time every, every week in buds, the time, you know, ratchets down and, um, and I've got to improve. And so I visualize myself doing that drawn proofing. You know, I visualize myself uh, being relaxed and calm in the water while I'm drawing. So these are like a really important skills. And, and these guys who are succeeding are practicing and have developed their imagery and their visualization skills. And the fourth of the big four skills is task orientation or micro tasks. So the ability to link tiny tasks to the bigger tasks, which are linked to, you know, which are going to lead us to victory. Right. And so if my mission is to get through buds, I'm not focused on, you know, the 10 months that Bud's is and thinking, boy, I wish it was at the end. I'm really focusing on what do I got to do today to win? And, of course, today is broken down into six or eight evolutions. Each evolution is, you know, an hour and a half to two hours long. You know, which ones am I going to really need to dial in and to focus on? Well, it's, of course, everyone. So, you know, you kind of chunk it down in the middle of an evolution. If the shit, you know, gets really, really intense, then I'm, I'm going to break it down into even smaller chunks. So you find the smallest arc of action that's going to lead to success, and you just focus on that. And then you take a moment, and it's just a millisecond to acknowledge the victory. Like, okay, I got that. I did that. And that gives you a positive feedback loop. And then, you know, you, you focus on the next task. And pretty soon you've just got a lot of momentum toward victory that you, know, you can't fail. So this is what I've parsed. That combined with – this ability to radically focus on your team as opposed to yourself. So those are like the five key things. Control, be able to control your physiology, 
through your breath, the arousal control, the ability to control your attention through positive internal dialogue and, and learning on where to focus, the ability to use your internal imaging um, self, your visual mind, you know, to help um, kind of power your, your momentum, power your actions, you know, so you can always kind of check in with that and ask if you're on the right path. And then the ability to, to chunk down your tasks to these micro tasks so you can focus on the, the, the small things that are going to lead to victory. And then your ability to really uh, realize it's not just about you, that, you know, you actually have a team and, you, you know, if you can focus on that team, then it's going to give you a lot of emotional energy, a lot of emotional power. And, um, and their team is going to have your back, right? So if you're helping them, they're helping you. Yeah, this is, uh, I've seen a lot of parallels between other people, other professionals that have come in and talked about uh, mental control. One, one which is uh, John's buddy, Andy, Andy Stump, who talked about that chunk it down. Yeah, Andy's so a was, yeah. yeah, he was like, just get me to the next meal. I know I eat no matter what, every six hours. That's all I'm going to think about. Yeah, Tex, uh, uh, the SEAL community is pretty small, so they yeah. always yeah, tend just, to know each other pretty intimately. But um, uh, I, actually, Mark, I don't think I told you, but uh, my, actually my Uncle Bill was a UDT guy in Vietnam. No kidding. Yeah, and was, uh, yeah so he, you know, um, I guess before, you know, uh, actually I think they were, there was a distinction between, I think they were like frogmen and UDT, and then it kind of morphed. <laughs> yeah, the, the SEALs, the, the, all the SEALs came out of UDT. And uh, they, they had a parallel program, but everyone went through the same training. And then you got either assigned to a SEAL team or a UDT team. And then there was crossover, like you could go from UDT to SEAL or, or back. Um, UDT would focus mostly on the Frogman mission, which was like beach reconnaissance and the, the, the underwater work with the um, submer submersible programs. Then in 1985, they, they basically decommissioned the UDTs and converted them into SEAL teams, uh, additional SEAL teams, and then the two SEAL delivery vehicle teams, which is a horrible yeah. team, yeah, the STVs, which was the mini, I actually served on SDV team one, which was, yeah. you, know, you had mini submarines. And yeah, one. no, I, I, uh, I've taught a bunch of seminars for the um, uh, SEAL delivery vehicle guys over in Hawaii, and uh, I remember when I went out there to the clamshell, and I, I yeah. thought, I mean, a couple times a year I went out there for a bunch of years. I remember they rolled one of those things out and I'm like looking at it being like, you, are you kidding me? You guys are going to be stuck in this thing for like, you know, and they're like sometimes, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours. Yeah, I was, about it. I I, I, it's an underwater coffin, you know, it's, it's, it looks like a little cigarette tube and they can fit four of us in it. And you're right. You're, 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 you're just cruising, you know, at 30, 40 feet and pitch dark clothes inside this coffin for 12 hours at a time. It is the most intense and brutal, you know, work and talk about, you know, needing to, to really work on those skills or get into those skills we just talked about. You know, if you don't, if you're in your head the whole time, it's, it's horrific and, you know, you wouldn't make it. So yeah. that's all the skills, you know, we tend to rely on those skills and you can actually have a very pleasant experience if you're, if you've developed your vision, your, your visualization skills and you're working on them, you know, during an underwater dive like that. I've done a, a few sessions of drown proofing with another one of John's buddies, Raph Ruiz, and I failed all five 
uh, your, your grit test here. Uh, uh, text. Well, what's ironic about that is uh, my brothers and I developed a game that was actually called Drowndom. And we would get in the pool and somebody would get behind you and actually could get you in the best hold they could. And then you basically, they would put you underneath the water and then you had to fight your way out of it. And that was actually our favorite game from the time I was, you know, three, four, five, six years old. And, uh, we almost lost several people in our pool <laughs> over and like didn't want to come over. Cause I was like, Hey, this is how you get in the pool. You got to play drown them. And dude, we would just dive on people. And, uh, Oddly enough, and then I go down to junior lifeguards, you get out in the ocean and people are like, you nervous? I'm like, no, it's not nearly as bad as my brother's holding me under until I almost blacked out as a kid. So I think uh, for a lot of people, and actually what resonated a lot is, um, you know, there's a, a kind of an interesting trend, especially with athletes that we found that the best athletes in the world are usually some form of late bloomers where they didn't have all the athletic gifts early on and they actually had to cultivate this hard work. And yeah. this, uh, you know, effort where they, you know, the, the story of the Michael Jordans getting cut from their high school team or, you know, or uh, the J.J. Watts being walk-ons. And then at some point, all of a sudden, everything starts to round out. And next thing you know, they get their athletic gifts a little, little bit later. But it, um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, all the guys that I've met that are, you know, been, you know, in the SEAL teams for any length of time all kind of have the same, uh, you know, similar personality. I mean, slightly reckless, but also very calculating and um, just, you know, incredibly, uh, you know, hard individuals in terms of their ability just to persevere and suffer. And I don't always know if that's a good thing, um, you know, because it kind of lends claim to some, I don't know, maybe a self-destructive, you know, uh, and deals like with, you know, alcohol or whatnot. But it's, um, it's, it's kind of universal. I mean, it's like the guys that are successful football players, like there has to be this kind of, fast and loose, uh, you know, not really nervous if you get hurt kind of mentality that, you know, definitely kind of plays into that. But that's you know, almost I, a selection process in itself, kind of growing up and yeah. you're not giving up. You want to you wanna go to the next level, so you're going to push through and you're going to learn and find a way. And, and, and the skills, just like the NFL, you, John, um, and I'm sure you had your things, Tech, it was like a siren call for those types of people. You know, for me, I wanted, the, I wanted the toughest, hardest, most brutal, you know, and I couldn't explain why I wanted that training. You know, I wanted that environment. It was just kind of like my spirit was driving me toward that. And I loved hard, you know what I mean? I just loved hard things, but I didn't experience, I didn't think they were hard. I just felt really good when I did them, you know what I mean? And um, just like, you know, I used to do crazy shit as a, as a kid. And so my risk tolerance was a lot higher than a lot of people. And when I got to Buzz, I realized, hey, there's a lot of, people out there like me and then I thought you know at the, at the beginning of buds I had 185 guys and I'm like wow there's 185 guys like me and I was wrong because only 19 of us made it through the training and so I realized actually there were only 19 in that class who were like me and then when I got to the seals proper you know into the teams I realized holy shit you know that's why it's such a small community you know when I was in the seals there were about eight or nine hundred of us now I think it's up to two thousand but um we were very different but very like alike in a lot of ways which you just kind of alluded to we all had a high tolerance for risk we all just loved to train you know we train three times a day even when we we're back in san diego and then you know work our asses off and we'd like to dive at night and bump into scary things and jump out of airplanes in the ocean in the middle of the night and we, we, we thought it was great and there were times we would bitch about it you know i remember sitting on a beach in some undisclosed place that i can't tell you you know for like eight days in a row, you know, and I'm just freezing my freaking ass off 
And, you know, in the between the shivers, just wondering, what the hell am I doing? You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm freaking bone cold. I'm thousands of miles away from my family. Uh, I could get killed at any moment, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm just sitting here gathering intelligence and doing my mission and just like going, why? Why did I do this? Why? And then, you know, having to come back to the skills to feed the courage wolf. But then as soon as I'm back in the submarine and I've got a, a hot shower and a warm cup of coffee, I'm thinking to myself, man, that was badass. You know, yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Mark, have you had, have you had the chance to read the book Drive by Daniel Pink? I have not. No, I look forward I to that. Recommend it. So he talks about intrinsic motivation versus just only like the carrot at the end of the stick. And it, he broke it down to three. It was uh, autonomy. So kind of creative freedom. You do what you want to do. Mastery. So you just love that process. And then purpose. You're motivated by something that's bigger than yourself. Yeah, I love that. You know, and I, that's part of the Unveil My philosophy is, you know, to, once, you know, developing the, the control and the mental skills is, is important, but focusing it on the right things is equally important. And so that's a whole nother skill area. And so that, that speaks to kind of that purpose and that, that what's, in, what's driving you forward. And I love that. So I'm going to grab that book. So we like to look at it as this notion of, of your ethos. And your ethos is what you, what's going to drive you forward and provide that compass. And ethos is a combination of what are you passionate about? What is your purpose or your sense of purpose? And what are you principled about? The combination of this ethos is going to tell you where to focus your, your mind and what actions to take and also to help you know where to or when to stand your ground, right? So that, you know, if you get a push left or right, you're, you know, you know you're going to have to put up a fight, right, to, to stand your ground for what, you know, you believe is important in life or in, you know, on the mission, so to speak. So this is kind of the harder part because this, you know, developing a personal ethos like this requires a lot of contemplation, right? And this is another, I'm glad you brought that up, Tex, because this is a part where a lot of people scratch their head at first with regards to my philosophy and what I talk about is that I think that, you know, people are spend too much time in distraction, spend too much time doing instead of being, uh, take on too many commitments, have, you know, are just running from one thing to another. And it's endemic in our society that, you know, people are just radically distracted and they're not able to slow down enough to do the deep work, to, to focus on what is it that I'm meant to do in my life? What is my purpose? You know, what's my overarching driving reason for being? And then um, what am I passionate about? Which actually should be asked, you know, kind of before that, because, you know, wh what you do in life should be, should lie at the intersection of what your purpose is and what you're good at and what you're passionate about. You know what I mean? Cause like I could have done a lot of different things than be a Navy SEAL, but my purpose in my early twenties anyways, was to be a warrior and to, to serve my country. Like I, I wanted to be a warrior and a leader. And so I could have done that in a lot of different ways, right? Depending upon how I defined warrior and leader, but I was passionate about the things that we've already talked about. I was passionate about it athletics I was passionate about fitness I was passionate about challenge and risk and leading and I was passionate about the outdoors and all of those things pointed me toward the seals and my principles gave me kind of the boundaries so I knew where I stood every day that was my stand that's important I think that's really important you know so we, these things go hand in hand every day we 
do some training to refine our mental processing power. We practice those big four skills. Those aren't just things that we do naturally or if they develop in us. Those are skills that we can practice. And then we spend time reflecting upon and aligning with our ethos. And when those kind of come together, then, you know, we start to see serious momentum. I went off into lecture mode there. Sorry. No, taking it all in over here. No, it's great. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah the, uh, I mean, it's getting into like such a, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, like a deep level in terms of like looking at all these different layers. It's like, um, you know, I mean, and I hate to say it, it's almost like building a cake with just a ton of different layers. I mean, it's like, you know, you have to have the, the physical ability to do what you want. Like if, if you are, you know, if fitness or strength or, or speed or whatever these different factors are, are your limiting factors, then you almost have to take care of those. And almost when you get into a, a selection process like the SEALs, um, everybody's fit. Everybody's in good shape. Everybody, you know, should be there based upon age and classification, all these different factors. And then you start layering in, you know, how much can a person take? You know, can they learn? You know, can they follow directions and all? The, and then it just seems like just a, a layering effect. And it's, um, it's well, what's most interesting is it's, uh, uh, it's really driven by you as former SEALs. I mean, you know, the idea of, um, you know, guys are active and they come back and they teach as BUDS instructors. And it's almost like this, um, you know, almost like social responsibility for you guys to not only train, but also pick the best next crop coming through because these potentially are going to be your teammates down the road, which is, uh, it is so amazing if you think about it, because, um, you know, and like, I just kind of related that back to, you know, football where you have coaches making decisions about who your teammates are instead of other teammates, you know, selecting who their teammates are based off of, you know, maybe intangibles, maybe this guy isn't the best player, but at least I know he's not going to quit. And I right. sometimes wonder if, um, uh, you know, that mentality in terms of, you know, if you look at just other things um, would be, you know, way more beneficial into the success of other, you know, what, let's say sports or other type of things. So, no, it's uh, I, there's definitely, you know, uh, America's done a really good job or Hollywood or whatever it is about creating a lure of the seals. And, uh, um, you know, I, I remember my uncle Bill telling us stories about uh, explosives. That's all, you know, he said his favorite part about being a UDT guy was he got to blow shit up. Yeah. And he talked about, you know, swimming in, you know, in, in the water and basically just planting mines and bombs on things and getting a chance to blow it up. And he fucking loved it. And, uh, like, you know, and that, that was his whole deal. And then he went on and actually worked for the, uh, uh, stood up the, um, like the bomb squad in LA and actually worked, uh, you know, doing that. So um, it's just, you know, there's a reason why people have, you know, really romanticized it because it's a high barrier to entry and, you know, and it's uh, people, I'm sure it's very hard to fake to be a SEAL. Um, nobody's getting in through that that's unauthentic or can't do the work or get slid in or a favor. I mean, you guys don't, you know, you guys hold the standard, which is, uh, is really pretty inspiring in today's world. Yeah. And, and you know what, um, John, you're right. You can't fake it, but it's also a long game. And so we have this saying that you got to earn your trident every day. So the seals, you know, the, the, the insignia we get is the trident. And so it's become a little popular recently, but most people didn't really know what it was until maybe 10 years ago. That's that Eagle that we wear on a chest. It's actually an Eagle with a flintlock pistol with a Navy uh, King Neptune's um, spear and then the Navy anchor. Right. And so it represents sea, air and land and the seals are an acronym. C, S, E, air, A, and L for land. And that means that we can operate in all those, in and on all those environments effectively. At any point, 
or at any rate, um, once you get through SEAL training, a lot of the young guys and probably myself included were, you know, feeling pretty froggy, meaning we felt pretty good about ourselves. Like, hey, you know, we're special. You know, we, we got it through SEAL training. Very few did that. I was the honor man of my class, number one graduate, you know, and they gave me awards. And, and then I show up over at SEAL Team 3 and, you know what, I was a fucking new guy. And I needed to prove to these teammates, you know, I proved to the instructors at Buds that I could be a teammate. But now I needed to go prove to my teammates that I was a teammate. And so that's what the saying, we got to earn your trident every day means. Like, don't rest on your, your victory from yesterday. You got to do the work today. You got to prove that you still got it. And I know SEALs who lost their trident, meaning they didn't lose it by leaving it behind. They literally had it taken away from them because they, they basically stopped growing. They stopped doing the work. They stopped training. Uh, you know, the SEALs don't ask you to be perfect. They know that you can still have things trip you up. You know, you could have some emotional baggage that you brought to the teams that, that led you to slip. But as long as you do the work, uh, they'll keep you in the team. But if you don't do the work, if you give up and you take things for granted, and which means essentially that you're saying that you're more important than your teammates, then that's when it's time to go, right? And, and you will be off the team because every single action, every single moment of the day is being watched. And not like in an authoritarian state kind of way, but I mean your teammates are always observing. And what they want to see is that you're putting out, you're taking care of yourself, you know, you're taking care of your gear, you're taking care of your teammates, you're, you're, you're focusing on planning and pre uh, prepping and, and envisioning the win for the mission. And if you're not doing that, then what you're saying is you don't care about the mission or the team because you could be the, 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 you know, the one link that destroys the entire mission and leads to loss of life. So you got to earn your trident every day. And that's such a powerful motivator for me. And, you know, I think everybody could really benefit from, from kind of adopting that that notion that every day we get up, you know, it's like my martial arts instructor, Nakamura used to say one day, one lifetime. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow hasn't happened. All you got is today. So let's make it a good one. You know, let's do the right things for the right reasons. Let's not you know, waste our time. Screw around. Let's train ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Let's take care of our teammates and our family and let's move the dial you know, so that we can be better, better people today. And then we'll worry about tomorrow tomorrow. We get on here and talk about strength and conditioning and, and the idea of, uh, you know, fostering the mindset that you need to persevere and really become, you know, something, you know, bigger than yourself and also attach something to greater than yourself is, um, you know, is interesting. And, and it's, it's always fascinating to hear how people get to it. I mean, for me, it just, it just seemed like, uh, you know, I didn't like to quit. I mean, that was, and, and whenever people ask me about, you know, how did you, you know, uh, do the job you did when it was cold and when it was hot and, you know, pain and injury and broken bones and how all that. And that just goes back to, I just didn't like to quit. And I don't like to lose. And uh, it was, and people always ask, is, is that simple? And I'm like, for me, it was, it really just wasn't, it, it wasn't anything overly complex. It just, I didn't like to lose. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, like if I wasn't playing or doing my job, that was losing. And I fucking hate that. And I think uh, yeah, that could be a great motivator, right? You know. Yeah, and and you know what? Like the other great motivator is, um, you know, I've been really kind of stuck or thinking about a lot about fear, and especially, you know, we were talking offline earlier about this election and really what's going on here in America right now is so fear driven, and people allow the media, you know, people around them to, you know, fabricate these false narratives, or you know, Trump's going to come in, and he's going to deport all these people, and 
you know, and I always ask them, like, you know, if, if all of a sudden they just started, you know, walking up on the street and throwing people in vans, would you just go inside and hide? Would you just, uh, you know, run? I mean, like, what would you do if all of a sudden that became a reality? And most people don't have an answer. And I'm like, no, you would, you know, if, if all of a sudden you're walking the street and somebody, you know, comes out and asks you what nationality or, you know, what religion you are and you tell them and they throw you in a van, uh, you know, those people that didn't have a social responsibility to stand up against the things that are happening. Right. And, uh, you know, like, so it just kind of blows my mind a little bit that people are being so driven in fear and they figure that, you know, that all of these terrible things are now going to come to pass. And my comment is, is like, you know, do you really think that one person after all of these years, you know, getting elected, all of a sudden these terrible things are going to come to pass and everybody would just be, you know, placid and just kind of hang out and let it all go down. And, um, the sad part is a lot of people would, um, you know, I know I wouldn't, uh, you know, my wife and I talked about it and she's like, if they wanted a, uh, you know, sort of registering people on, on, uh, on religion, what would you do? I'm like, I can go down and register all the religions. They can, you know, I'll be happy to register as everything. I mean, I'll yeah. be Jewish. Yeah. I can be Muslim. I'll be everything. And, uh, you know, the idea is that, uh, you know, the, you know, this is all, and it's all bullshit and it's all fear and it's all being propagated by people that are trying to control and, you know, they're really good at it. And, and I just don't think enough people be able, can see through this, whatever's being spun out there. And, um, right. it's, uh, you know, the fear is a, a great motivating factor and you can see how people vote and, you know, really the, the state of our country right now, I think is, is just overwhelmed by this idea of fear. And yeah, I mean, yeah. we almost have to do something to either cultivate a stronger mindset or start helping people to see past it that, you know, you as an individual are the captain of your own ship and the master of your own destiny. And if you're going to be driven by fear, then you know what, then you're easily cold. You're right. The, the ultimate reality is that even, you know, bad shit will happen, right? We cannot control what happens in the external world. I think collectively, you know, we can because we create that reality, but, but the reality is already created. So it's shit's going to happen, but it doesn't change who we are, right? When you succumb to fear, what you're saying is, you know, I am a, uh, essentially a victim of what happens outside of me, and I have no control over that. And the reality is you do have control. Now, you might still get rounded up, but again, it doesn't change who you are. It just change, it temporarily changes your external circumstances. Uh, one of my favorite authors is Viktor Frankl and his man's search for meaning talks about this. You know, he even found great meaning and joy in the middle of a, a Nazi concentration camp because he realized that they, the, the Nazis couldn't take away him. They couldn't take away his spirit, his consciousness, you know, who he was. And as long as he realized that, then he had everything, all the gifts, all the peace of mind, all the happiness, all, you know, was, was right there for him, regardless of his external circumstances. So I know, but you know, the whole idea of it sounds simple, but it, it's not easy. It, it really isn't easy. It's, it takes practice. You know, it takes practice and, uh, you know, mentorship. I mean, really, and I think that's what you're doing a great job of is not only yeah. providing mentorship and yourself and, and, uh, really just a system that people can follow. And, um, you know, if, uh, um, I think if they can do it, then, you know, obviously it puts them in a better place and, you know, Hopefully we, it's, it's better for the next generation and they, uh, all of a sudden the fourth turn, we come out a little bit better, which, uh, we actually talked about that book earlier and, uh, actually I will buy that on Amazon today. Yeah. So, so Mark, in case people want to get in touch with you, I know we told them to check out your podcast on beatable mind podcast, but if they want to reach out or follow you, what do they got to do? Well, you know, Facebook, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. And my team managed that for me. So, um, 
that's a good place. Uh, uh, two websites where most of my stuff happens is sealfit.com, S-C-A-L-F-I-T. That's where we do our kind of hardcore functional training to develop mental toughness and resiliency. And then my executive coaching program is called Unbeatable Mind, and that's unbeatablemind.com. And that's a good book to start with. If, if someone's yeah. intrigued with what they heard, just you know, pick up Unbeatable Mind at, at Amazon or something. That'd be a good place to start. Thank you guys for your time. Super Thank you. Yeah, this, this is amazing. I really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, it's a great honor to talk to you guys. Have a, have a great day and happy Thanksgiving. Yes, sir. Thank you. One day, one lifetime, one premier podcast in strength and conditioning. This is Power Athlete Radio. We're out. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Learn more about the SEAL Fit program and the Unbeatable Mind podcast by heading to www.sealfit.com. Or if you're feeling uninspired while sitting at your cubicle completing TPS reports, follow Seal Fit on Instagram and you will immediately feel bad about yourself. Until next time, bye!